A quick warning, this episode contains a reference to mental health and teen suicide. Listener discretion is advised. This is Care Plus Cures, Advancing Children's Health in Silicon Valley, a podcast brought to you by the Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health. Through the Care Plus Cures podcast, we share stories of triumphs and challenges by uniting patient families, doctors, care team members, and donors like you to advance transformative health care for children. I'm Sarah Davis, a donor and your host for this episode. On the show today, we'll be talking about Alcove, a new innovative network of integrated youth mental health centers designed with, by, and for youth. Today, you'll hear from Emily. My name is Emily Wang. I go by she, her pronouns. I'm 17 this year, and I am a high school senior. I joined Alcove, specifically the Youth Advisory Group. And you'll hear from Dr. Stephen Adelsheim, who is a child psychiatrist and clinical professor at Stanford University and Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Stanford, and Associate Chair for Community Engagement for Alcove. Thanks, Sarah, so much for having me. Thank you both for being here. Dr. Adelsheim's work focuses on early detection and intervention programs for young people. He leads the effort to bring Alcove to the U.S., starting with the first two locations, now open in Palo Alto and San Jose, California. So mental health has been in the spotlight so much lately with COVID-19, and we've all felt it in some way or another. The lack of social interaction, the distance between friends and family, but there are increasing concerns about mental health and substance use, particularly with young adults, including concerns about suicidal ideation. Dr. Adelsheim, what mental health issues are you seeing with kids? Well, Sarah, it's a really critical question. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, we really already had major concerns, both, you know, locally, but really across the nation in terms of the need for expanded youth mental health support. Generally, our young people often face very early signs of mental health issues. And in fact, half of all mental health conditions have their onset by the age of 14 and three quarters by the age of 24. And we don't really have the systems in place across our country and certainly locally to have those early intervention places for young people to get help early when they need it. And most of our systems, in fact, aren't available to young people or they don't access them until there's a crisis. And at that point, we might see a suicide attempt or a drug overdose or some other problem. But there may have been an issue that's been there for a long time. Dr. Adelsheim goes on to share these staggering statistics. Even before the pandemic, as much as one in five young people struggled with a mental health condition. Furthermore, four out of five kids cannot access the mental health care they need. And because of that, many of our young people are going five, six, seven years with an untreated mental health issue before they're getting any kind of treatment, if they get it at all, which is impacting their ability to benefit from their education, their development, their socialization with friends, and many other critical issues that impact their adulthood. Wherever you are on the socioeconomic spectrum, you know, our young people are facing a great deal of stress and anxiety, 
as they move forward and try to figure out how to move their lives forward, move towards whether it's ongoing education or into the job market in really safe and comfortable ways, given the challenges we've all been facing as a nation and as a world right now during this very stressful time. We don't have enough of a youth mental health workforce, people that are trained to work with children and adolescents. So that's an issue in itself. The stigma issues that are in many of our families and many of our cultures impact the level of comfort with accessing mental health supports. And so for us, it's been really important to create these sort of upstream, as you would say, opportunities for young people, whether through school-based programs or now these alcove models, to have a safe and comfortable place for young people to come in and get the support they need in a safe and comfortable environment. And this was a need before the pandemic, and now this need is even greater. And it's for this reason that the alcove centers are so crucial right now more than ever. The first two locations are located in Santa Clara County, where there have been two youth suicide clusters over the past 12 years. Can you tell us what is a suicide cluster and what can we do to help prevent it? You know, generally what people describe as a suicide cluster is when really within a community, there may be three or more deaths by suicide of people within a set given period of time. There have been two periods of time where this has happened within the Palo Alto community. And certainly young people nationally are at more risk of having suicide clusters than other age groups. And then as a parent, I had a daughter that was going through the Palo Alto schools during the second youth suicide cluster. And again, became back involved in some of that work in what was then my home community of Palo Alto. Being able to provide these early supports has just been reinforced through all these lived experiences and work. And as a parent of four young people, many of whom have faced mental health challenges, as have I and our families, it's been very important to break down stigma for us to talk about the mental health challenges that are in all of our families and to make it more comfortable for young people to get the support they need. Before I joined Alcove, I was very unconfident and I didn't believe that people would listen to me or my opinion was really valued, especially in something that historically has been kind of adult dominated. Because when you see, for example, in media, how mental health is portrayed, it generally doesn't pertain to teens, or if it is, it's kind of badly portrayed. What Emily mentioned there about media's portrayal of teens really hit home to me. As a member of the media myself, I'm very aware that there's power in our words. How is Alcove working to change the way teen suicide is reported? We're really wanting to work with journalistic media, but also social media and entertainment media on this issue and really have been developing a team within our Department of Psychiatry and our center to decrease the risk of what we call contagion related to suicide, where a second Mm. young person or a third young person might die by suicide based on learning about the suicide of another person. And I think one other thing I would add is this isn't just our team, but the young people from our communities are also really concerned about this issue. And they've taken it upon themselves at times to 
respond to media partners when they felt like their stories didn't follow the guidelines. We've done conferences on it where young people have spoken about the importance of it for them. And so as part of our youth advisory network, as we're supporting leadership development, speaking opportunities, and really trying to help our young people with the challenges that they want to take on, addressing these issues around youth suicide prevention have become one of the key priorities for young people in our communities. And it's an honor to be able to support and work with them as they take these programs forward. That's so, so important. And Emily, I want to turn it over to you for a moment. I'm curious because it's been a while since I was in high school, and I'm just wondering what kind of education is being done around mental health. What are those barriers for you and your peers in learning how to reach out for help? One issue that I've always seemed to notice is how mental health tends to be put as a lower priority in comparison to academics or just in general being the best or excelling in whatever way that is defined for you personally. So one need that I see in the community closest to me or immediate to me is generally just being able to have a balance between both academics, academic performance and accomplishments, as well as bettering your own mental health and addressing your own emotional and mental, or however mental health is defined for you. I didn't really know much about conditions such as depression or anxiety or PTSD, ADHD, until late middle school, maybe. So there's such a lack in the education around this, so much to the point that we kind of go up thinking that these signs of, say, depression or anxiety, um, so on and so forth, are like normalized and they just get swept under the rug. And that's where Alcove comes in to support that education around mental health and make getting care more accessible. Can you tell us a little bit more about Alcove? How is it different from other mental health vocations? Sure. Just like for other medical conditions, early intervention really works for mental health. And so it's very important that we create these spaces for young people to be able to come in and talk to someone and get the early mental health care that they need before things move to a crisis point. We really often think about mental health places as the place you can only go to when things get really bad. And so we're trying to create a culture that allows for young people to go to a place that is designed by and for young people where they can feel comfortable getting those early supports, asking those early questions, and being able to sort of sort out what they need. And the alcove space is designed to have a moment of pause. It's designed with very much of a youth voice. We have primary care providers to be able to provide sexual health-related services as well. But we also provide supported education and employment to help young people think about how to be successful in school, how to think about applying to colleges, but also how to do a resume, how to do job interviews, and how to handle those other kinds of life challenges in a successful way. And we also have peer support, critical members of the team who are young people with lived experience who can also provide critical support and guidance
Every aspect of Alcove is designed by the youth it serves. As soon as you walk through the doors, you're welcomed into a space that's more like a fun hangout than a doctor's office. From the bright colors, fun furniture, murals, and snacks, every element is designed to make youth feel comfortable. It's been very important to us to create a space and a model and a design and even a name that resonates with our young people because our young people know what they need and they know what their challenges are and have a great deal of wisdom if we really would turn and listen to them about how to build connections with other young people and how to create spaces that young people will want to use. And we've seen the effectiveness of that when we look at these models as they've developed internationally. Even though we just opened in June, we've had the youth voice for over three years guiding the development of this model and will continue to be critical. And now as the other sites are developing Alcove and other parts of the state, they're starting to develop their youth advisory groups. We're supporting them in that and are also working with the state to develop a statewide Alcove Youth Advisory Board as well. When you come to Alcove, you have a very supportive community who all of us here have the mutual goal of working towards mental wellness for everyone. We try to be as inclusive of ability, gender and sexuality, race, religious background, social, socioeconomic background, academic background, so on and so forth. As long as you're a young person who's passionate about mental health or helping your community in becoming more mentally well, you're welcome at Alcove and you're in control. You have autonomy over what services you receive, which I think is very empowering and you can feel safe in, especially if you grew up in kind of like maybe a family who was less accepting of mental health, you can feel safe in knowing that there are options for you. What resources or experience does Alcove bring to help youth with diverse backgrounds? Well, it's a really good question. And, you know, even as you might look at these first sites in both Palo Alto and San Jose, they may be really reaching out to young people from different cultural groups. And so we want as much as these Alcove sites to sort of have some commonalities because from a marketing perspective, it's important that young people know when they go to an Alcove site they're getting some consistency in terms of a range of services and supports, but they also need to get services that meet the unique cultural needs of each community in an effective and supportive way. So as we're doing that, we're really ensuring that the youth advisors meet the diversity of each community and reflect the diversity in an appropriate way, that each Alcove site is welcoming in a way that reflects the diversity of the community that it's housed in. So we're actually going through a more extensive process over the course of this year to be asking that question because we want our sites to be anti-racist. We want them to be culturally comfortable for our young people. And it may mean that within each site, certainly we want the staffing to reflect the diversity of the community. And we want staff that really reflect the nature of each community. And in fact, our youth advisors are very involved in the hiring of our staff at each site. They're involved in the interview processes, and they're involved in asking questions of each person. So we're really wanting to ensure that each site reflects the cultural needs 
of the home base in which it can be found. Well, and I can imagine that must be hard to find when there are so few folks in mental health profession who have this specific youth focus as well. I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this particular space, youth mental health as well. Sure. Well, I'm one of those young people that, well, I was one of those young people. That, uh, <laughs> I'm not so young anymore. But um, when I was a young person, I actually was one of those people that I think many of my friends came to to talk about issues and concerns and was very interested in how we think about different things and how young people get support. And frankly, I decided very early that I was interested in mental health and really wanted to get involved in this work. And so through college, I really found myself drawn to mental health related kinds of experiences. I worked in mental health research, even in high school and early in college. I was a psychology major. And so, you know, when I went to medical school, it was with a plan to become a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And really, as I got involved in this work, I took some time off and worked in some rural programs in indigenous communities in Alaska and worked in inpatient adolescent units. And the more I did that work, the more I was committed to looking at how we build out culturally appropriate places for young people to get the care that they needed, seeing that we don't have a public mental health system of support for our young people, even though, as we said, so many health conditions start early. So for me, really, it's been a career devoted to trying to create those models. Yeah, it sounds like this is kind of like the accumulation of a lot of your life's work and being able to see it in a physical form. That must just feel amazing. Well, it is very exciting. You know, we've been working on this idea and this model and started talking with our colleagues in Australia nine years ago. And so we've been at this for quite wow. a while. So I'm grateful that we opened and I think we have a long way to go, but we have a vision. We have some spaces. We have a very active and strong youth advisory group. The other ones are growing we're excited for the state partnership to roll this out in other places. And we're hoping over time we can develop the resources to meet the broader need across the state and the country as we're getting more and more requests to help different communities build out this model, which is coming from rural communities, indigenous communities, large urban areas in California, but also across the rest of the United States. So we need additional support to be able to help with the broad implementation of this model. We're wanting to do a really strong evaluation to ensure that the services are working well, that the team structures we're developing will meet the needs of the young people as we see them. And then in all of that, what is the importance of philanthropy in your work? Well, it's critical to us, and it's especially as much as we've been excited about the Alcove Center starting, as we're seeing the increasing interest, you know, we're having increasing need for financial support as well. We have a core team at our Center for Youth Mental Health and Wellbeing in the psychiatry department at Stanford that are really guiding this process in terms of providing technical assistance. Our colleagues in British Columbia are growing out more and more sites. Ireland, Ontario, 
The World Economic Forum has taken an interest in this model and partnered with many of us to put out a document on this model this last year. So we're seeing increasing interest. And with that, for us, is increasing need to build our team, build the support, cover our time to be able to ensure that we are able to provide this continuum of support in the way that communities are asking for and the way that our young people are really asking for very loudly. Dr. Adelsheim, when you hear Emily and other youth advisors talk about lack of mental health awareness, what would you say are maybe the top two or three tips you could give to parents and kids to help them start these sometimes difficult conversations? Well, you know, for parents, I think what's really important and what our young people keep telling us is to please keep checking in with us. Please keep asking us how we're doing. And we may not want to tell you, we may not want to answer you, but it's important to us that you let us know that you're concerned about us, that you care, that you want to know what are the things we're facing. And as a result, it's also important for our parents to also be able to have then open conversations, listen without judgment to what our children are telling us as they share with us the feelings that they're having. And I think it's also fair, depending upon the age of your child, to have some openness about the challenges we're facing as parents and adults so that we can be normalizing and making it comfortable for our children to honestly share with us the fears they have, the challenges that they're facing, because often we're facing them too. We want to acknowledge in a comfortable and realistic way that their stresses are okay and that they're legitimate and that we want to hear them and then figure out how to support them. As we work towards developing these alcove sites in this moment of pause, being able to have a space to stop and catch your breath, think about what you need, and get some distance from all the stresses that we're facing is an important strategy for all of us, whether we're young people or the parents taking care of them. I think really Alcove has shown me the importance of mutual support because, you know, no one should have to go through anything alone. I just want to like give a huge kudos to everyone who has gone through this pandemic because it's truly something that's not normal. And we've really, I, I would say that we've done an amazing job and no matter like how you are, you're doing fantastic. So I have just one last question, Dr. Adelsheim, which is, since Lucille Packard is such an avid lover of nature, we like to end every episode with a question about nature. What's your favorite activity to do in nature? During the pandemic, I've been going to the beach whenever I can. And just being able to walk on the beach has been lovely. I felt incredibly lucky every chance I get to do that. And so basically hiking or walking on the beach have been the things for me in nature right now that have been really terrific. Yeah, we're so lucky in California to be able to do that pretty regularly. Well, thank you again. And I so appreciate your time today. Well, I appreciate your interest in this work and the chance to 
share what we're doing and we're grateful for the interest and the support that we've been given. And so thank you for your time as well. I was so struck by some statistics that Dr. Adelsheim mentioned early on in this episode. Half of all mental health conditions have their onset by the age of 14 and three quarters by the age of 24. And as much as one in five young people under the age of 18 may be dealing with a mental health condition. And of those, only one in five actually receive care. We recorded this episode during a pandemic, but these statistics were true even before the pandemic. And youth are so key to solving their own mental health issues and resolving the stigma around them. Providing a supportive space for youth and by youth to access a range of emotional, physical, and social support services on their own terms just makes sense. We're all excited to see the possibilities of this model extending outward to communities that need the support now more than ever. As I mentioned at the beginning, this episode discussed youth mental health and suicide. If you or anyone you know is experiencing abuse, self-harm, or suicidal thoughts, please text 741-741 to the Crisis Text Line for free 24-7 support or call and chat with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I'm Sarah Davis, and this is the Care Plus Cures podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Packard Foundation for Children's Health. You can find out more about the foundation's work and donate to Lucille Packard Children's Hospital Stanford at supportlpch.org. As a donor myself, I am proud that my donation supports care, comfort, and cures for patients at Packard Children's Hospital and beyond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening.